2: Hi there, I'm Jay Comfrey. Welcome to this week's Premier League Tonight podcast where I'm joined by Stephen Gerrard, Jermaine Genus, and Steve McManaman. This week we discuss the managers in potential Premier League crisis and the effect of bringing in a new manager to help a struggling side. We'll talk about VAR. Is it really ready for the World Cup? And finally, Jermaine Genus shares his career reflections. We're going to start by talking about Everton and Pete McPartland. Here he is.
3: Not disgraceful performance.
4: Can't win away from home, manager can't set them up to defend, just abysmal, just abysmal. This Everton team at the moment, I honestly don't think there's a worse team in the Premier League, I think we're just just about skating by, uh, I honestly don't think there's a team that plays worse football than Everton, I don't think there's a team with less team spirit than Everton, I don't think there's a team that fights less for the fans and I don't think There's another team who's got a a manager who cares less about the club than we've got. They're simply all the problems we've got at the moment.
2: Here's, um, here's a tweet as well from Dominic King, he's a journalist for the Daily Mail. Um, the winter break in Dubai worked well then, two games, two defeats, Everton at their strongest when team and fans are together. Never seen this relationship so fractured, and he's seen a lot of Everton over the yeah. years. Uh, but look, it's, it's a team that you grew up watching and loving, and this, is, this all comes on the back of a couple of years ago when they were spending money and Everton fans thought this was a bright new future for them. But this is bad. Yeah, it's really bad at the moment, and you know, thankfully...
0: Listen to that gentleman there talk. Who's a diehard Evertonian? There's no, there's no bias. You know, Liverpool Everton bias here. It's they're not making any chances away from home. They're not creating anything. They look as if there's no plan at Everton. I knew there was a plan when Roberto Martinez was there. I knew what type of football they were going to try and play. I know what kind of future they had planned. I know we went through a sticky patch himself, and you know he went and Ronald Koeman came in, but then. They seem to have just ripped it up just to stay in the Premier League and completely panicked. The signings have just been a little, a, what, what can you say, woeful, yeah. let alone strange. And um, now they look as if got, they've got no plan at all. I don't know what the plan is for Everton. I don't know whether the manager's going to be involved come August. Mm. I don't know whether who's going to buy the players. <laughs> I don't know whether who's in charge, who the, the new owner is, or whether it's someone in the background. I don't know whether, whether Bill Kenwright is still the the figure the figurehead for Everton. But in the last two years, they've suddenly acquired these billions of pounds. And they've gone way, way, way backwards. And they're lucky that they're still in ninth. How on earth are they in ninth with the form they're playing? But they could easily be eclipsed because the league is so concertina that if they keep on losing games, they'll suddenly... Be... Swansea were in 18th before. They're now in 13th. They could be on Everton's tails very soon and they, these teams are going to be flip-flopping if they don't sort themselves out.
1: I, I totally agree with Micah. You know, I, think, I think plan is the, is the word, I really do. And you can take that into almost their style of play. You know, I, 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 We all watch a lot of football in the Premier League and I reckon you know, I could go through the league and give you an idea of what team, how they're going to set up and how they're going to play. If you ask me about Everton, I ain't got a clue. Yeah. I haven't got a clue what their direction is as to how they're going to win a game of football. I don't know, you know, are they trying to get it wide and get the ball into the box? Are they trying to use the their, their, their men in the hole? Are they trying to kind of play long? I actually don't know what Everton's style of mm. play is. Because when I watch them, <laughs> I never see it. And I've watched a lot of Everton this year, especially in the Europa League, where they were absolutely shocking. So it's frustrating times, obviously, for Evertonians and their fans, um, especially when they've spent so much money. Well. Proper money. Did, did they just panic with disappointment at Sam Allardyce? Do you think they, they saw where they were in the
4: league and at that time? They were close to the bottom three. Yeah, I think they had to panic, uh, and they had to make the decision to get Big Sam. And when he come in, he had he had an impact, um, and that impact will be enough to keep them in the league. Um, but long term, is Sam Allardyce the answer? I don't think he is because I don't think his style is Everton style or what Everton style should be. They've got a tremendous following. Uh, and they're a footballing team and and Big Sam is not that type of manager I think the court in between philosophies and I think the plan they did have a plan but because of that panic they've completely gone to a a new philosophy in Big Sam, so they're sort of caught, they don't know what they are. They've got a, a load of Cummins players, a load of Roberto Martinez's players, and a load of Steve Walsh's players mm. who've come in for a football philosophy, mm. but all of a sudden they've ripped it up, scrunched it up, and they've gone for someone who's more direct, who's a motivator, and at the, mo- at the moment, after that impact, he doesn't seem to be able to motivate them anymore. Uh, lots of Everton fans on social media.
2: Here's a question actually from uh, Paul Cunningham. He said, Allardyce, Moyes and Pardieu, showing the merry-go-round of old managers, has to stop. It's time to bring in new ideas and fresh perspectives. And this is interesting because you've got Allardyce, Pardieu and Moyes going into clubs and uh, struggling. And yeah. at the same time you've got the likes of Carl going into Swansea. You've got Graffier going in and making a change at Watford, Claude Puel.
4: Everton well, have been... tried that though, Jake, no, with Martinez and Koeman. Yeah. Uh, aren't they the new ideas, the foreigner with the new ideas and the plan and the philosophy? So, well, shouldn't Evan have stuck with one of them and sort of saw through the bad times. Would, the they, bad be, times would, would they be any stuck worse off if Kuhn was in charge now? I don't think so. So, should they have stuck
2: with Ronald Koeman? Was that the answer?
0: Well, you could go back to Roberto Martinez. Should they have stuck with him? But it got the vitriol towards Roberto Martinez at the end of his tenure was was really bad. And he, you know, they had to change him before the last game of the season. He never turns up at the last game of the season. It was that bad. So, you can see why they have changed the managers. But there has to be a, a, a plan of right, how we're going to move forward. You can't just panic and say, right, whenever Sam took over in October, November, when it was, we need to stay in the Premier League, it's too much money, we'll, do, we'll, we'll, we'll change the manager again at the end of the season and start all over again. That just cannot happen. You have to be braver than that. And um, I get the managers, the, the, the talk of managers, but then you, you, know, the three managers you mentioned, they're all foreign managers coming in. So you know, they tried David Unsworth and they were not particularly happy with him at the time, so they've changed him. And um, it's trying to find that right man, isn't it? The
2: right time. Okay. Well, let's hear from some other Alan and David Moyes, and then we'll talk about the future for managers in the Premier League in a moment. But first, have a quick listen to this.
3: We've only got ourselves to blame. Um, and again, it's another away defeat we could certainly today could have avoided. And had we done better in the first half in front of goal, would have won it, I believe. People will turn these
1: situations and immediately turn it into a, you know, a personal situation with myself. But it's about West Brom, it's not about me. And uh, you know, if the consequences are that I lose my job, uh, then that, that will be what it is. All I can hope is that, um, and what I think was on their surface today, was a commitment from the players to try and address the situation. We know it, it's very, very tough.
0: It was the worst performance since I've been at West Ham. And... We just never really at any time looked as if we were that in control. I can only say to the supporters, I'm going to do everything to make sure that we're ready for the next game
2: and uh, and hopefully they're behind us when we get to the London Stadium next week. Well, he looks a broken man. Sam Allardyce doesn't look happy. Um, Everton are just outside the bottom half of the table. They're sitting 10th. You can see there, uh, West Ham struggling now in 14th absolutely not safe at all yet, and West Brom bottom of the table in 20th. What do you think then about whether it's the same old faces are still doing a job? Because there was a time where there was a school of thought that if you were a team in trouble, you went with the good old traditional manager who had experience of the Premier League, and they would do the job for you. But Carlos Carvalho didn't have any experience of the Premier League. Javi Gracia went into Watford with no experience of the Premier League, and, and they're, they're picking up results.
1: Look, they are. Um, I suppose there is that kind of worry that there is this new niche in the market for a certain type of manager with experience to kind of sit tight until I don't know January time or just before when clubs start to panic and think well I'm going to get this job and I'm going to take it forward but there being that disconnect almost between fans which is where the problem I think starts to be created I think if you look at Sam Allardyce you would argue he actually had that impact Mm. and he he took away that panic that was there so that's job done but then long term you've got a problem and it could have happened with Alan Pardue they could have had that that kick that everyone seems to get but was he going to be the man long term they haven't had that so immediately people point the finger and go well you know well, maybe are, are our managers getting lazier and are the foreign managers now the you know the the, the coaches that are the ones to go to um, it's you know it's a tricky one I have to say because we, we we've got a couple now that have' not done so well and we haven't got that bump from so the accusations will always be you know thrown at them
4: and I think these managers will end up getting the blame because they'll probably end up losing the jobs, but what about the people who've made the signings before them, mm-hmm. like directors of football and people who've made the decisions before they come in? Yeah, they'll get the blame, as they do, like managers always do, but I think it's very harsh and unfair of us to sit here and say that Allardyce and yeah. Moyes and Pardew are bad managers. Yeah, yeah, They've yeah, yeah. inherited yeah. bad teams uh, yeah. that are littered with bad players who are not good enough and what for what I also
0: goals. would say on the back of that is that we know that Carlos Carvajal's had some sort of impact at Swansea. But he won a few games and he did well in the FA Cup. Before today's game, he was in the relegation zone again. He was 18th. So it's, it's can he go again? And he did. He won again today and they've gone to 13th. But that could easily change rounds again. It's yeah. fine. They are getting a bump at the moment. And Grathia beat West Brom. So they've jumped up the table a couple of spots. But they have to continue this. We might be having a conversation in a month's time where Javi Grathy has flip-flopped with David Moyes and Carvajal's gone the yeah. other way. They need to keep on going. Yes, they've done well and they have had a lift. But, you know, as, as, as Jermaine rightly said, Sam Allardyce did that initially. Yeah. Moyes did that initially. Roy Hodgson did that well, perhaps, initially. Yeah, but they've come indicative back again.
2: Of the fact that the jobs that the sort of traditional English managers are getting are the jobs where teams are in a load of trouble and all they want is a short-term fix. Yeah, what, what we talk about, the manager bounce, don't we? Yeah. That sort of three or four games... Just hoping Just it'll be hoping, enough to save us, and that's, I mean, that's we, what we, some of these managers have times been
0: this year. to. There's ten awful teams at, at the bottom of that league, and they could all change in the next three or yeah. four weeks when they play each other. Looking at the fixtures today, they were quite uninspiring fixtures, but they were incredibly important. Yeah. Swansea West Ham, what a game! Yeah. Watford against West Brom, what a game! You know, these these fixtures were incredible fixtures today. But each team is just doing that every single week, and we keep blaming another
2: manager every week as what well. What is it about this new manager bounce? I saw a, a quote from Jack Butland this week, um, and he basically came out and said, <laughs> too much in the first part of the season, we haven't hit the heights in terms of running stats, winning tackles and 50-50 battles. The manager has come in with zero tolerance, no-nonsense kind of attitude. In some ways, and I know what Paul Lambert's like as a manager, and he is like that, but that kind of angers me as a football fan, because I don't care who your manager is. If well, that I, angers me, actually, to be honest. Club, I want your running stats and yeah. your and your tackle wins and your and your battles yeah. to be won. Like, right. yeah. Why do you need a new manager to come in to create that in the Stoke dressing room? Well, I, personally, they, they I don't think. Talk about I don't, don't think. You do.
0: If you're if you're down where you are and you did well last year, you're the one to blame. You and your teammates are the one to blame. I know the manager goes out and sets you up, but as you work hard all week on the training ground. I presume with, with all these managers, he sends you out in a certain shape. And then it's, it's 11 men against 11 yeah. men that like you've faced many times before. You have to outrun, outfight whoever's marking you and make it a personal battle. And if eight of your teammates do the same, you'll win the game.
2: What have you guys experienced of this kind of manager bounce in your careers when there's been a change in the dressing room?
1: The closest I came to it was when we, um, I think we were, we were third bottom of the league uh, with Spurs when we were with Wande uh, Ramos. Yeah. But, in fairness, Jake, that, that year we sold Berbatov to Man United, we sold Robbie Keane to you Lot at Liverpool, and we sold Jermaine Defoe to, to uh, Portsmouth. Yeah. So we sold 60 goals about, you know, and, and we, we were good keeping the ball. We get to the top end of the pitch, we signed Pavlichenko, uh, Darren Bent, and Fraser Campbell from United. We just couldn't put the ball in the back of the net. It wasn't going well anyway, so we bring. Harry in um, first couple of games goes well we had the 4-4 obviously uh, at Arsenal we get massive confidence from that yeah. but the first three three things that he did in January is he brought P- Peter Crouch back in Jermaine Defoe mm-hmm. and Robbie Keane came back, came back yeah. uh, we ended up finishing I think fifth of oh. that year so I mean we got that initial kick But, you know, I think that was a lot to do with the understanding of what we needed. And I think when, you know, talking about running and winning 50-50s, that's down to the players. That's just ridiculous. Mm -hmm. When you're talking about direction and maybe a a way to play and a structure and a manager can bring that to the table, that that will give you a lift and maybe Mm -hmm. a confidence and a way of playing. We see it last year with Paul
4: Clement and we've seen it now with obviously a couple of new managers, um, especially at Swansea. I think the one I can remember is um, Kenny taking over from Roy here. I think uh, Roy Hodgson's final days and weeks here were very tough for him personally, but you could feel it as a player. Yeah. Mm. The the tension in the crowd, you know, they were singing Kenny's name every five, ten minutes. Um, And I think before Roy was announced to be the manager, I think the majority of the fans wanted Kenny in anyway. Um, So yeah, the final days of Roy's were tough, and then when Kenny came, the atmosphere changed in the ground and in the club and you know the players sort of got a lift from that because it was uncomfortable playing uh, in the atmosphere under Roy. It, it felt it felt tense and I think the players you could feel them going into a shell but when Kenny came it just seemed to lift and you, and you got that manager so, so as players did you give more under Kenny Dalglish I didn't because you know I, I, don't, I don't I don't play general, but no but no but I don't play for, for a, manager. a manager yeah, yeah. I, I turn up to work on a Monday myself and, and I have values and principles in myself that I give every single day and then I take them Monday to Friday into the game so if Liverpool didn't have a manager I would still give exactly the same effort and commitment and desire for the badge do and you for the fans. Have that same approach? Do, you, do you, you want me to phone them all and ask them? No, <laughs> but they should do. <laughs> your if you're a
0: winner you should do and him as the captain of this team would see at the training grounds and if people were walking around and not, not giving a Monkeys, he'd be on at them. The, the fans as well. The yeah. fans would be Going on them. Mad. So you're not allowed. You're not allowed to. Otherwise, you don't play on a Saturday. If you don't, don't give a, if you don't care in training, mm. and you think you can just walk around and mess around, then go away, because you, you're affecting him and him and mm. him. You can't carry anybody out on the field on a Saturday. So you might as well not be there.
1: Were there any situations, though, Stevie, where when Roy was manager and you said yourself it felt tense that there were players that were targeted?
4: By the fans that would then have a negative effect no, on the team? I think, way that I think Roy took the blame. Um, I think the manager weren't happy with some of his signings. Uh, but you know yourself, when you're playing and the crowd are tense yeah, yeah. and they get on the, the players and the teams back, you know yourself, you, yeah. you maybe don't try something or you sort of go mm. safe. Um, and that's me talking as an experienced player, yeah, as a yeah, So it yeah. probably had a bigger I- impact on on well, all. Also, the other players some players and... get more affected by the atmosphere yeah. in a, it. A, Especially in lesser, the, young, lesser yeah. players, in less experienced
0: you young players. Yeah, yeah mm-hmm. if they give a ball away in the car, go. Oh. The next time, as Stephen rightly said, they're not going to try a nice pass down the line. They're just going to go centre half. And every time they yeah. get it, a simple so that'll pass. That'll be
4: happening now at Everton, every, yeah. at West, West Brom, Brom, at Stowe. Yeah. People will be playing within themselves because confidence will be low. Um, the fans will be on them. It'll be tense, and, and then that affects individual and, and and team play. And when that happens, are you out there as a footballer thinking,
2: "Why are you? Why are you doing this? Like, if you're not happy with the manager, fine, but you're affecting the players. This is this isn't productive." Oh, but that's really. all. It's that is always happens. You have to fight
0: through it. You have to get through it. You have to play hard. You'd have to win a game. You have to get everybody behind you. How many times have you heard that? Oh, we're probably better playing away from home because there's less less of your fans there. They'll get they'll get outshouted, so mm. you feel a little bit more confident. But you have to get through that. How are you ever going to succeed if you can't take a little bit of criticism off somebody and get on and move forward?
2: Mm. Okay. And f- finally, maybe it tells us something as well, doesn't it, about what life was like under Mark Hughes at Stoke? If a player is coming out and saying, "Oh, we're trying harder. We're winning
1: tackles. We're running a bit more." I think that's harsh. If you look at some of the you things think... that Mark Hughes, I think Mark Hughes took Stoke to their highest ever finish within yeah. the Premier League as well. All, most of their uh, finishes were in the top half. Granted, this year, you know, it, it, it seemed to all fall apart for Mark Hughes and Stoke. Yeah. But I think just to kind of to, to throw that accusation at Mark Hughes, you'd be ra- you'd yeah. be raging. ninth
0: thing. in the league. It's you right.
4: can't be angry reading that, do you? Yeah, I think it's a poor quote. Yeah. Because I think under Mark Hughes, the Stoke players were trying and blah, blah, blah. Yeah. I don't think they weren't running around and they weren't tackling. For me, I think it's a poor yeah, I call. Watched, I watched Stoke a lot of times last
0: year. I think they finished ninth, forgive me if I'm wrong. I think did, yeah. And they played teams, arsenals and things. And every time I see them, every time I went to Stoke and watched them, I thought they gave their all. I really did. Yeah. Win, lose, or draw. I thought, you know what, they've tried hard, they've worked hard. And when I look at the likes of, I don't know, shore crosses and people like that who've been there for a few years, don't tell me they don't try don't tell me they don't give everything for every single game. They yeah. might go through bad patches with injuries and stuff, but can't level that. You can't level a lot of that on a lot think of the it's players. Also worth
2: pointing this out. Actually, we've uh, we've got the, the stats here. I believe that we can we can compare them. Look at this. So this is under Mark Hughes um, and under Paul Lambert this season. This is per game, um, and as you can say, they covered a little bit further under Mark Hughes. Um, yeah, there you go. Well, so actually, there isn't much in it. But maybe you know to. To give um, to give Jack Butland um, yeah. a bit of credit, or to be fair to him, maybe he's just trying to say positive stuff yeah, about life. Maybe under maybe and maybe, it just,
4: maybe it also just feels better for whatever reason, you know. But, but yeah, but he's got to think before he says stuff like that, and have some respect for the previous staff that have gone out. Um, if he's got the stats to back it up, what he's saying and it's right, then yeah, say it. But mm. I think he's said something that's got no substance.
2: A uh, lot of comments coming in from Everton fans about Sam Allardyce. I'll just run through a few of them for you. Um, Duncan, UK45, how about Everton getting Rafa as their next manager after Sam? <laughs> I appreciate the link to the Reds. Might not be welcomed by fans, but he still lives in the area. proven success, and as Stevie says, a Premier League manager could do a lot worse. What do you think? Um,
1: <laughs> would you
4: like to see that? He'd <laughs> be good for them. Yeah. yeah. Um, would I like to see it? now? Yeah, because uh, I think if you've saved Liverpool as Rafa has, I don't think you should go and cross the park and work for Everton and vice versa. Um, but if it happens, he will definitely be a good appointment. And yeah. would they be good for him? Um, well, why not? Because the the better, they're you'd in make a better them, position you'd make them better. as a club. As a yeah. club, they're in a better position as Newcastle. You know, the the, the steady at the top. The, the spend the money, and, and that's what Rafa's complaining that Newcastle are not doing now. So, okay, right. Uh, well, thanks for your comments in that first part. We're
2: now going to talk VAR. I know you've got opinions on that as well, so get those coming into us as well using the hashtag PL tonight. Well, let's just confirm what has actually happened today, just so it's crystal clear for you. If you take a look at this, so today there was a vote, and the International Football Association Board unanimously approved the adoption of VAR on a permanent basis. So, so the decision on VAR use at the World Cup is just expected to be rubber stamped by FIFA on March the 16th but everyone's expecting that to happen. Um, And FIFA are also developing an information system for stadium screens at the World Cup when a review is live why the review is happening and what the outcome is, which is key. Uh, The Premier League vote is expected later in the season. Uh, Just to give you the heads up for that, the vote is in April. 14 of the 20 clubs in the Premier League have to vote to have VAR as something that's a regular thing in the Premier League next season. Uh, We already know though that it's not going to be regular in the Champions League. Um, Joining the conversation Chris Foy. Uh, Welcome along Chris. First of all your reaction to this. There was a bit of surprise
3: from people. Is it the right time and is VAR ready for the World Cup stage? Well, I'm like you, I was a little surprised today when it uh, it was announced. However, they've uh, they've decided in the wisdom, the international board, that uh, they want to implement it. I think they're talking about they've done 4,000 games around the world and tried and tested it, so they feel it's ready. But as you say, they haven't rubber-stamped it yet. That's the 16th of March. Do you March. feel it's ready, Chris? Um, I'm not sure yet. I'm, I'm seeing things that are really good. I'm seeing things where we can improve. I mean, a great example today in, in the game we've just watched with Salah and Jim, uh, you know, Jamal LaSalle, I think, at the end. We've got a misread card and a free kick outside the box. I think that's where VAR could have got involved. And the flip side of the coin is if you look at the, uh, the Tottenham-Rochdale game on Wednesday, that was the other side of it where um, it was a bit disappointed with the outcome for uh, a goal that was chalked off. Chris, and Stevie Mack. Who will be the referees um, who decide who
0: sit in this box? Will it be from all over the world? Or will it just be you know, one particular
3: referee you know, chosen by FIFA? What happens, Steve, you're quite right, it's, it's, it's world football but they've been using VAR in a number of countries, Bundesliga obviously, Italy, we've got it in the MLS, they're using it in Australia and what they've done in the past in the World Cup is they've used referees and they've had dedicated fourth officials and obviously assistant referees so I'm presuming that they will have a number of people who will act as VARs and, and VARs only so you could have a situation where you've got a refereeing team who are using it at the world
2: cup having never used it before competitively they've been trained on it they know how it works but they've not been in a competitive match situation that could happen
3: well it, they have a training hub I'm, I'm led to believe in in fifa but i would i would imagine the training they're going to undertake will be um, will be really strong and i would imagine they'll probably use re- ma- sorry referees from countries that have used it because in England at the moment I think we've only used four VARs up to now so I think there's a lot of planning, there's a lot of preparation, there's a lot of training, there's, a, there's still a long way to go with it. We were at Wembley on Wednesday night, yeah. so do you think it's ready for the World Cup? No, I don't. I don't think it's ready
1: for the Premier League, I don't think it's ready for the World Cup. Um, I think there are aspects of the VAR that, you know, that, that have potential, I really do. Um, The teething process is taking too long for me. I've not seen that improvement. We keep talking about, oh, um, you know, it's a work in progress. It's a work in progress. Well, we've had it all year now, really, within the FA. I don't think I've even seen a new problem every time. I've not seen even an inch. I think it's
0: good. The fact that FIFA are now going to put it on the big screens and tell the paying public, this is what's happening and why. That is that is a big jump forward. But actually, the technology itself doesn't seem to be working, does it? So we've only had technologies games. I think the use of the
2: technology is well. The, is they seem the to
0: be stopping it every five minutes, something. And I think we, we, we. If there's four thousand games happening that we haven't got access to and we don't really know the results, we know the Bundesliga is a bit up, hit and miss.
3: Yeah. We
0: don't know about the MLS and you know the Australian A League, whatever. But we don't know if they've had huge success over there. But what we've seen in the Premier League. We don't want it anywhere near our Premier League in the near future, do we? Or the World Cup. Um, well,
4: I, think, wh- do I think whilst there's issues and problems, I think they should keep it away from the big stage and there's nothing bigger than the Premier League and the World Cup. So until it's perfect, keep it away. I think the Champions League, UEFA, have
0: quickly distanced, distanced themselves away from it. They're not going to use it next year. So they're going to have 18 months, aren't they, at least yeah. to see how VAR progresses and if it, uh, if, it, if it keeps on improving. So the fact that UEFA have gone, no thank you. And I presume the Premier League will say we're not starting again with it in in August. Maybe the following August, but we're certainly not going to touch it. I think it's far too soon. And what we've witnessed at this moment in time in the uh, the Premier League. There's
1: a reason why goal line technology just works so so. well. Uh, It's because it's it's black and white. Mm. Is the ball over the line or not? And Mm. we all go, yeah, brilliant, let's move on. And it's quick. And for me, the reason why VAR doesn't work like that is because I still think there's a lot of subjective uh, issues within it. Exactly like the Llorente goal the other day, you know, has he been pulled or has he not been pulled? Mm. We're all going at this moment. Well, he's got his hands on Llorente. Llorente's got his hands on him. Where's the problem? Because if you're you're telling me that when a goal goes in, everything is reviewed and the decision has to be clear and obvious for the goal to be stopped. That was not clear and obvious me. It might be clear and obvious to one person, it might be clear and obvious to the, the, the guy that's actually operating the system, but for maybe 50,000 fans watching on the big screen, they'll be going, what? I don't get it. Chris, that's not clear and obvious. I to know me.
2: sometimes, Chris, it can be difficult for you because you've got, you know, former colleagues and friends and you've been involved in, in elements of developing the VAR system. How bad was Wednesday night for VAR in this country, do you
3: think? Because it felt to us like it was, it was an awful evening for the system from start to finish. I think the big thing that people talked about was the time. I think where we, we set the bar on, on Wednesday night was far too low with clear and obvious because the Lorente goal wasn't clear and obvious. I think what surprised most people was that the VAR who's, who was at Stockley Park didn't say to the referee have a look at it, you know, I suggest an on-field review so he goes to the screen and looks at it. I've got to be brutally honest with you, if that had been me refereeing that game, I wouldn't have expected to chalk the goal off, and if it was the VAR, it's exactly the same. But the flip side to the coin was there was a really good decision where an assistant referee gave a a free kick outside the box, which was wrong because it was actually turned over and a penalty was given. So you're seeing a full sliding scale of, of good stuff and stuff where they can improve, but... The big thing on Wednesday night, I found, was people in freezing cold temperatures were waiting around and stuff was taking two minutes Mm. and and time is of the essence and the fan experience is vital and I'm glad that FIFA are looking at that because I think that is important. And even when they made a really good decision on the field of play, there was still that ridiculous moment
2: a minute later when the ball went out for a throw-in where the ref had his finger to his ear while they were checking a correct decision, almost just, why not just check that quietly, not let the ref get involved, not do this, Mm. the crowd booing at half-time. You know, I come from a place where I think this is here to stay and I think that fundamentally it is good for the game and it will work, but they can't keep making these mistakes all the
3: time, can they? It's quite interesting. I was chatting to uh, Jermaine earlier on, and I know he was at the game on Wednesday, and that is, you've got a situation that they talk about clear and obvious, they talk about missed serious on-field incidents, but what's been lost in the ether is they actually check goals. So that can, can rumble on. But as Jermaine said to me, you know, the referee on Wednesday, there was a situation. He was very clear in his own mind that it wasn't a penalty kick. And then we wait till the ball goes up the other end of the field to check it. And Jermaine was quite rightly saying that sometimes it might feel as though it's a sign of weakness. I think the training for the referees is really important in that respect, that they don't feel undermined and they have, you know, the courage to make the decisions like they do. Well, we'll see what happens at the World Cup. Thank you,
2: Chris. If, they get it, if the operators get it right, Is there place in our game for VAR
4: or do you not want to see it? Yeah, no, I think there is. I'm all for it, but I think it has to be perfect before it comes in. I I don't think we're ready for it and I think we're taking steps forward and then two steps back and that's where all the confusion in and and the different opinions are.
2: We talked about Nightmare Away trips last week and it got us thinking about your your, uh, lasagna gate experience. What's
1: your memories of that game? Apart from the food it didn't taste. Yeah. It wasn't <laughs> well, pretty, obviously. Were you, were you <laughs> affected by it? No, I wasn't. No, no I wasn't. But I would, um, I'd actually... Uh, I think I had a stress fracture in my shin or something. But I was away with the team in the hotel. Yeah. Uh, I just wasn't affected by it. So we all travelled together. Woke up to kind of text messages of us trying to get the game cancelled. Uh, ringing around the lads. Everyone's basically throwing up all over the place. Literally, I mean, the whole team. Yeah. Michael Carrick, I mean... I don't know how he went out and played a game of football. Really? I've never seen anyone, really, in a worse state than I saw Kara on that day. Uh, to the point where, I think, even during the game, Martin Yole um, he, he went to take Edgar Davids off because Edgar was having a nightmare and Edgar didn't actually have food poisoning. <laughs> <laughs> just playing like yeah. he had food poisoning. He was just having a nightmare. Yeah. And Cara's come running over and gone, listen, you can't. I've got to come off. And yeah. he just ran off. Just ran off the pitch and ran straight down the tunnel. But obviously, I mean, we get beat and obviously West Ham are playing music. And what was the in terms of the result you needed in that game, we needed to equal basically Arsenal's, Arsenal's results. Result so we, just needed to to we needed to win. We needed to win to yeah. qualify for the Champions League. Um, didn't go our way. West Ham had some celebrations, but then Stevie cheered me up that summer when he smashed that one in the bottom corner. There you go. <laughs> there you go. we winners. When you've had things like he that, says that football
0: is a bitter about the team.
1: <laughs> Footballers are bitter. Too. You're not bitter,
2: are you? Let's move on. <laughs> do, is it, do you have actually? Um, I don't know if you want to go here or not, but do you have any bitterness about your career when you think that when you were coming through and Lampard mm. and Stephen were coming through at the same time and it was like which of these guys, Genus, or mm. who's going to be the sort of England star? And then injuries and various bits and pieces just get in the way of that
1: progress and you uh, sit now and reflect on it and yeah, you know, 21 uh, England caps rather than 121 yeah, yeah, yeah. England caps? I mean, don't get me wrong, I, I'm not, not, not bitter about it. Uh, I, you know, I do live with some regrets. I, yeah. didn't, I didn't achieve what I set out to achieve in the game. Um, which you know never sits well with you as a, as a as a professional, I suppose. There were issues I had to deal with with regards to you know injuries and so on. I also ran into probably one of the most elite um, midfield generations of probably you know, one of if you know, English history yeah, really when yeah. it comes to you know the, who I was competing with uh, also. But a lot of that you know I stare kind of in the mirror and I look at myself and I, you know it's it's things I have to take on about what I didn't bring to the table. Um, there are other attributes, you know, kind of when I look at, say, Lamps when he started to kind of really kick on. I remember a game in South Africa, I don't know if you played in that one, in, in Lucas Redaby's, uh testimonial. And I'd kind of just come through as like the 19-year-old and, um, you know, Sven really liked me and, it was, and Lamps had kind of got himself back into the equation and we, we were battling it out at this mm. point. But, you know, Lamps had... Um, he had Jose Mourinho at the helm, was pushing for Champions League, and and you know, and I was at Newcastle where Bobby had just left, and it was going the other way. And but what it always boils down to, Jake, is yourself, you know, mm-hmm. as a player. And you know, there were moments during my career where I obviously just didn't do enough um, to kind of. Get oh, to the why is of what that? The is it the did. people that are around you, or was it?
4: I think it definitely helps if you're playing in a Champions yeah, League yeah, side, definitely. though, and you and you are shining on a midweek right. under the lights, like Frank, if he's playing for Chelsea, if Barcelona, and he nicks a goal, he's bound to have an advantage when it comes down to England's selection yeah. over Jermaine if he's playing at Newcastle with all due respect so yeah. I think I, sometimes it depends on what players are around you what club you're at and, and what stage you're performing at really
1: I, I felt that a lot kind of when I was with England when I was England you you could feel kind of the winners I suppose in the dressing room we didn't we never performed really well as a team I, I, I never found um, it was, it was Too many individuals, really, and not enough kind of of us together. But I always kind of felt like when I came back from England, my levels kind of went up, you know, and then I could almost feel them dwindle as kind of the weeks went Mm. on. So, like training with England was at such an intense Mm. level, and everyone wants to, everyone wants to be in the team, and I'd come back to Newcastle and I'd be up here miles ahead of everybody and then literally because the demand wasn't as high at Newcastle as it was with England, my standards just dropped and dropped and dropped mm. gradually throughout the weeks to the point where you kind of bring yourself down back to Newcastle level, whereas Steve would be like Liverpool, yeah. Frank would be like Chelsea, Rio, United, you know, and, and that's just how it, it that's, they, they were winners and they won things, whereas I suppose that's the difference in the league, mm. it's as simple as that, you know, some people accept uh, kind of their space of where they're in, and whoever's in that dressing room, it's up to them, I suppose, to kind of drag everyone together and make sure you, you, you do go and achieve more. Um, but I think it's hard at that level as well. If you're not if you're not being successful,
0: or you're in a team that is, you know, an average performing team, it's hard to shine and drag them forward all the time. Mm. So if you're playing with England and you're training with them. And you know, when you have the ball, Steven's bombing on, or the right back's bombing on, and then suddenly you go back to Newcastle and you're expecting that right back to be there and the right back is not feeling confident today and is is staying there. Sure, sure. And you're doing that side pass. You know, you want to be creative. You want people to do that to give you the options. But if you're in a team that isn't, you know, is not firing or not flying every week, you're bound to have players who go, Well, I'm staying here today, yeah. do you mean? And you're just passing there, and then you're the one who has to go and do things. So it it, it it's definitely The players around you can certainly lift you to another level and, on the flip side, can probably drag you back a lot.
2: But do you look at it and think, well, it was the midfield generation and I wasn't at a club that was pushing for the Champions League and I had a one-day Ramos rather than Sir Alex Ferguson or Rafa Benitez as my manager? Or do you look at it and just think, I just wish someone had told me this career is over like that and just to knuckle down because who knows what what i could have. i,
1: done. I don't blame anybody no you know, for what happened i look at myself and um like i said i've always been um a- accepting of the way uh that it went to an extent there are you know i, I do live with regrets because i didn't again like i said set out uh, achieve what i wanted to achieve uh in the game yeah. But, you know, you, you can talk about as many people as you want, Jake. You know, when I really kind of like do break it down, yes, you kind of say things like, I don't know, if, maybe if I was here at Liverpool with Rafa Benitez, you know, because Steve has mentioned, you know, some of the teams here that he played in, you know, they, they weren't amazing teams, yeah. but at Liverpool Football Club, a winning club, they had a manager that kind of knew how to win and then you kick, kick on from that. I probably didn't have that, but the bottom line of everything when it comes to being a football player, is you look at yourself, and somewhere along the line, I didn't do enough. You were renowned for leading teams and banging your chest and being a
2: a great Liverpool captain. If you'd been at Leicester rather than Liverpool or Southend or Norwich or anywhere else, do you think you would have been the type (laughs) of... The type of player. Yeah, couldn't resist <laughs> it, could yet. Norwich! Just a dream. So yes, Norwich! So imagine Steven oh, Gerrard at Norwich, that's uh, what it no, was. No, you can't um, help yourself. I can't help myself. Have we mentioned Norwich enough today? Um,
4: our game was postponed against Barnsley. <laughs> the answer to your question is no, probably yeah. not. You don't think you would have been the same player? Um, no, because I think uh, I had top players around me, I had top managers, uh, great environment to learn, i.e. Melwood, the academy, and, and coaches that have helped me grow and and evolve as a player, so probably not. And I think being a local lad as well and sort of feeling that connection with the fans certainly helped me, um, especially here at Anfield, to, to raise and, and find consistency in my game. But somebody must have sort of put that fight into you as a player, that that, that self-belief, the drive, <sighs> yeah. the desire. I'm not sure you can, you can put fight into someone. I think you've either got it or you haven't, yeah. I think, you know... You've either got a heart and, and, and you've got that desire in, inside you, and, and that's the way you play. I, I don't think you can sort of put that into someone. I think at 16, different. 17, 18, when he was breaking into the team before he reached the height
0: that he did reach and before he was as successful as he was, the hunger and desire was there at the training grounds. When he would join sort of myself in the bigger group at the time when he was only 16, 17, the desire when he came across and joined in. With better players at him at the time, mm. who'd achieve more than him at the time, because he was only a baby. Learning straight. his desire and the hunger. You was remember it, all, do you? yeah? It was always there. You never come over and thought, "Oh, is one of the kids? A, we'll have an easy day again." You know, we'll have an easy day against them. He was flying into tackles. He was aggressive. He was working hard. He was trying to learn. He was trying to. He was trying things out where he could fail, and, and he knows that you know no one will put any pressure on him. So the desire and hunger was always there, with him in particular, because we're talking about I, him. At I the don't moment. think
4: you can turn that on. Turn it on I don't enough, think no you chance. can sort of decide, oh, today we're playing West Brom, I'm just going to do. This. I just think you, you turn up and you do it every single yeah. day. Every time there's a ball there, there's a game, there's a situation, you, you give it your all and your maximum. We were talking earlier about more, ta- we're running more, we're making more tackles, blah blah. Surely that. That's just a gimme, no? That's just That's the minimum. Their values and principles as a footballer, you should take onto any football pitch you walk on. What did you think about J- Jermaine's comment about the regularity of playing in winning teams before you go? And I, ag- I agree with him, and I think um, he's not the only case. I think a lot of players I've suffered over the years in terms of cap return and, and getting selected in 11s has gone against them when you're, when you're coming up against teams like United, Chelsea. Tottenham, Arsenal, Liverpool players because the expectation here was to win every single game, you never get a day off Uh, with all due respect to certain clubs if you lose a game or you're a little bit inconsistent, the fans and the clubs just go with it because they accept what type of club they are, I think Playing here for Liverpool, the the demand and the expectation helped me to get more England caps Mm. and and to get picked and selected. And I think I had an advantage Mm. over Jermaine because I played for Liverpool and because I was in the Champions League. He had stages in his career where he was playing better than me and his form was probably better. Maybe he should have been in the eleven before me at certain times. But I think being here at Liverpool, and he was probably at Newcastle or Tottenham Mm. at the time when he wasn't in the Champions League, I probably had an advantage because of the stage I was playing at, yeah. I
0: think if you play with better players, they will always drag you to be better. And if you don't improve with those players, you'll be out. Yeah. And I remember training with John Barnes, Ronnie Whelan, the greats of Liverpool, who had won the league and the European Cup and the FA Cup, and they were winning everything. And as a 16-year-old, going and training with them and being involved with them, they would drag you to be a better player. And they'd tra- you train with them for a week, and if they didn't see anything out, and, that, and it's very hard yeah. to get back in, so you had to keep on improving, and improving, and improving. So if he would have played with, and no disrespect to the players he's played with, not at all, we're just talking about his story, but if he would have played at Champions League level all the time, and he stayed fit, of course, because he, he had injury problems, he would have been, you know, on a much higher uh, plateau than, than we're talking at this moment in time. Because the better players will have always pulled him forward, and got every bit of... of uh, what
2: he can give yeah. in that team, and you felt that when you were with England. As you say, you went back to your club and you felt a better player for it. So if, there'd well, been, if that move had come off for you, you know, I don't know how close you came to a United, a Liverpool, a Chelsea, and Arsenal. You know, if that had happened, you, that maybe would have made the difference.
1: Yeah, I mean, look, it was close at times. Um, tr- it was training with England that more had that impact. Kind yeah. of the games with England were frustrating at times. I found. Um, you know, I was just talking to Maka before about. Kind of a specific situation where, you know, when you're at top clubs, as Stevie was saying, and you and you are part of a winning team, I felt that England managers just always lent towards that for safety reasons almost. Rather right. than taking that risk, really. I remember there's a number of occasions where me and Michael Carrick playing together at Tottenham, playing well, would sit on the bench and you know, Alan Smith, who's a centre forward for United, but obviously he was hard tackling centre forwards, so then were playing him in midfield. And me and him were looking at each other, or he'd play Ledley King in midfield, yeah. and we're looking, and we're going. Mm. What do, we do I do he? here for you to, you know, to play me, you know, to to, to put me in this situation? And I suppose, again, you, you you might then start to lose faith within your, you know, yourself. You start to think, well, I'm not going to get a game. And that's you then switching off. That's not you kind of pushing and driving, I which again is that, part. That's
4: of That's where problem. you've got to have a manager though, who's strong enough mm-hmm. to pick the best players for the team rather than the individuals, and have the the courage. I think Gareth has to sort of play the players that are informed. Traditionally, yeah. though, it
2: has felt like some of managers have picked on fame rather than form. If you're 100%. playing at Man United, yeah, yeah. You, you're going 100%. to get a game. And
4: also put players in the wrong position, in, in to big fit, games, to fit the they players in sometimes players in, some to fit players it's in it's because fit. the. Don't popular want to decision, say, well, I don't care who you are, but you're on the bench because you don't fit into the game plan today. If you could um, turn back the time
2: to a 16-year-old Jermaine Junius, what's the one bit of advice you'd probably want to give? Join
1: Liverpool. Join Norwich. Did you say Norwich? When I was at Forest and I had opportunities to kind of go to a couple of clubs, you know, Liverpool was one of those clubs. Yeah. And United was one of those clubs, but it was very much... You know, it's an honour to play for those two clubs, and you might get your opportunity. Whereas Bobby Robson went, you're playing now, yeah. and I just wanted to play football, so I was like, I'm coming because I want to play in the Premier League. Right
0: Newcastle now. are a huge team, aren't Correct. they? Let's let, and and at that, that time point. they were. Yes, yeah, so we have to we have to yeah. reiterate that.
2: Thanks for listening to the Premier League Tonight podcast. Join us next week at the home of the Champions Chelsea when they entertain Crystal Palace live on BT Sport 1 from 5 o'clock.